Welcome to the Digital Responsibility Podcast. There is a vibrant community around the world exploring how we drive forward digital innovation, products and services, and generally exploit technology progression for the sustained benefit of society and the planet. On this podcast, you will hear from me, Christopher Joynson, and Rob Price, two of the original founders of Corporate Digital Responsibility. As we speak to our guests, to hear their stories and piece together what it means to be responsible in the digital age. If you'd like to learn more, take a look at the website, corporatedigitalresponsibility.net. So after a summer break, welcome to um, episode nine of season four of the Digital Responsibility Podcast. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Hannah and Josh, and we're going to talk about um, bias in tech, AI, kind of machine learning, but I suspect we'll go into a number of areas. So Hannah, um, could we start with yourself and a bit of an introduction and both in terms of you and your interest in this area, because I know it dates back to an academic uh, background as well. Yeah, absolutely. So um, thanks for the introduction, Rob. Thanks for having me here as well. Um, So yeah, so my name's Hani Seku. I come from a background before tech and before data science, working um, with a social enterprise and working in the public sector, um, supporting sort of marginalised communities sort of back into work um, alongside um, supporting with social regeneration projects as well. So, you know, helping sort of underdeveloped areas within the UK um, sort of receive the funding and, you know, bring the community back together. Um, And I guess it was more or less during COVID, it was sort of sparked my interest in in tech where you saw communities, you know, being um, ostracized almost from uh, being able to job search solely because they don't have access to, to the world of internet and things. Um, And so, you know, I came in and decided to do a master's in artificial intelligence and data science, um, just purely for the fact of just understanding how the world of data and tech um, and algorithm machine learning works and then how that can be fed into, you know, um, making sure everybody has equal access um, within sort of that industry and within that, that tech technology. And of course, brilliant introduction in terms of the relevance from a CDR point of view, in terms of equal opportunity for everybody and equal access, uh, very aligned with um, the principles of the manifesto. Um, Josh, um, co-host for today in terms of the session, um, but perhaps kind of a bit of an introduction to yourself as well. Cool. So my background is um, tech in the sense of I studied computer science at uni, so I was very much into like coding that kind of stuff but then post uni I decided to go down more of a people focus route so none of my roles post uni have been hard coding software but they have been a lot more people focused and so my interest in today's topic was came from a point of diversity and inclusion um I within our company I help out a lot with a lot of the diversity inclusion projects that we do so it was a thing of when Black History Month came about a thing of what can we do to talk about ethics and data and diversity. And so this podcast came about and then here I am. Excellent. So um, for everyone listening, um, principle two of the manifesto talks about this um, firmly in turn, I mean, to quote, promote diversity and diverse thinking integrated into product and service design 
avoiding tech and AI driven bias. Now, the key thing there for me has always been integrated into product and service design because it's not enough in my mind for an organization to just be thinking about what it should be doing, but to bring that to life in, in the work that it does. So, so Hannah, perhaps we could start with you. And, and, and I mean, as Josh just said, um, just passed through Black History Month and, and I'm conscious that some of the things that you've talked about as a black woman and kind of um, looking at how data can be interpreted and uh, embedded bias. Um, what's, what's your first thoughts in, in terms of the area, both in terms of um, good practice, but where it goes wrong as well? Yeah, I mean, um, so just taking it back to the work I've done. So from my, my master's in artificial intelligence data science, um, I, I started that at the wake of the George Floyd and then, you know, the, the um, world's, worldwide spread movement of, you know, Black Lives Matter. And then that shifted into focus to organisations and looking at the systemic racism. What can organisations do or what are they doing to ensure this isn't something um, that is that is ongoing um, within within the UK specifically. I mean, I can predominantly speak about the UK because this is where I work and live. Um, and so, um, one of well, my specific research dissertation topic was to actually look at how we can empower individuals, put the the power back into the hands of individuals. So, so black men, black black women to actually understand how these algorithms are working and how we can maybe, you know, um, contribute towards the, the, um, the, I guess, the widespread access of data. So one of the things when, when I was doing my research is, you know, you, you need to have a, quite a large sample size in order for it to actually affect or have any impact on the results of the algorithm and to ensure that there is sort of, to an extent, an unbiased nature with, with what the output is. And I really struggled to actually get um, sort of sort of the data from people within my community. Um, I mean, it was easy because I was a black female, and so I was able to get um, responses from you know black men, black women. But then it was still quite short compared to you know the uptake I had from um, Caucasian women that wanted to take part in the research as well so it's 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 a two it's a two-pronged approach I think from from what I found is like you know there is the limited access to data are we putting ourselves out there enough um, but then rightfully so it leads down the whole um, trail of you know um, issues around privacy and skepticism from so predominantly within our community about well what's the data going to be used for where where is it going so there's, there's, there's a lot of questions around that. And I, I would just say there's two elements. Are we putting ourselves out there enough? Are we making sure that data is accessible? But then also our companies, our organizations making that active effort to actually um, sort of get that data from specific communities. And then that can, that can be, of course, from perhaps maybe having people in the design process that are of color. Um, that are that are black, that are female, that perhaps maybe understand that market more, that can sort of get the reach out that you need into those sort of communities and get the data that is that is requested. The, the, the question then becomes, how do you know? I mean, you, how do you know it, almost how something has been produced and tested or trained as a product? I mean, you know when it goes wrong and kind of been uh, lots of high profile cases of where it's clearly wrong. Mm -hmm. 
but but how would you know in terms of looking at the products or services that an organization provides as to whether they've been um trained or tested in in in, in appropriate and diverse ways is i mean is there any research out there that you know of or um stories that you've heard that would suggest that insight yeah certainly so um during my research um when we had a look at sort of the ethics ethical side of algorithms. There was definitely research that came through by um, Joy Boluami, I think I've said her surname correctly, from the MIT Research Institute. Um, And her research was specific, and I'm sure you would have heard about this, a lot of people would have, was looking at facial recognitions and the algorithms and the bias within that. Um, And so um, I think fortunate enough, I think the the data or the um, algorithm was open source. So there was, um, access within that community to be able to have a look at that algorithm and be able to, you know, break that down and have a look at the data and see actually, you know, there isn't simply enough data on in like black faces, <laughs> just to put it put it out there like that for an algorithm to be able to then train itself um, on sort of being able to facially to recognize different faces from a black community or a dark skinned, let's say, um, individuals. So. I think you can quite quickly understand where there is a bias or perhaps maybe where something has gone wrong when you look at what the data is. I think every data science always says what you put in is what you get out. If you put rubbish data in, you get rubbish, you get a rubbish output, don't you? Um, And so quickly we find that as individuals, we then perhaps maybe see the output of it, whereby we're going to, I don't know, soap dispenser, you'd have heard that that or seen that um, quite widespread, but we're going to a soap dispenser and you know, it's probably not recognizing dark skin, for example, and that's us understanding the output. Whereas if there was individuals who perhaps could relate to um, the problem or who in the design process, they would have been able to spot that a lot sooner than a consumer using the output, if that makes sense, Rob. It, it, but it's such a great example in the sense that of the soap dispenser, because a lot of the high profile cases are where it has a, um, a direct obvious, uh, I mean, kind of going through an airport, for example, it's a direct obvious impact on the individual. Clearly in the pandemic, soap dispensers have become kind of far more uh, important than kind of maybe that we would have considered before. But actually that everyday occurrence that that's something that might not be quite so impacting but actually still is personally kind of difficult more than an irritation but I mean Josh how about from your perspective in terms of what are the things that that you've seen that maybe aren't as high profile but impact you and makes you think about that product design process and whether they thought about you I'm fortunate enough to have my first name being Joshua which like is a very common name across the globe across many different um ethnicities but like some of my other friends I know personally have had to change their names when applying for jobs because of they've realized and through actual like personal attempt have submitted their CV under two different names one that's more standardly British and one that's more like well not even more like one that is their African like name of origin and they've realized like maybe more often that the British one gets more traction than the actual name. So that's a case of, is that screening software that's actively looking for names that 
don't fit into a certain category and bypassing them and removing them from the circulation or is it like a human thing obviously you can't tell because we're on this end but that's the idea of like that practice of doing that to make sure that it isn't software that's automatically just checking them out because they don't fit into a standard mold of British like that's something I personally experience of like having to like actually think about I'm lucky enough like I said myself that I I don't have to do that for the most part, but the idea that people do have to think about that is something that my friends had to address. And, and, and of course, timely, I mean, everyone listening won't know, but we've literally just been talking about uh, use of AI in, yeah. in recruitment as, as an yeah. example. So brilliant and appalling yeah. uh, situation that, that's, that's described there. And I guess then the focus around transparency and being able to kind of understand and ask well okay can I say how is that operating yeah. how is that working that's the thing yeah it's a, a question of with like a whole lot of GDPR can we find out if that's actually a human doing that or is it actually an algorithm that's basically been programmed to bypass people and like that's something that definitely needs to be looked into and, and of course, as we know, it's that organisation that's using it that's got that responsibility yeah. for it. So in a sense, they can't just kind of look at it as a piece of software that they've bought and it doesn't really kind of yeah. uh, understand how it operates. It's that clarity about that well, they've got the responsibility to ensure it is operating in, in fair and transparent ways. Great example. Yeah, I just wanted to add to that, Rob. Like, um, obviously, it's a perfect example of, OK, well, who does the responsibility sit with? You know, is it with the organized, the hiring organization that is using this algorithm or is it with the designers? And I think not obviously I'm welcome to answers for my own question, but just to throw some 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 answers and suggestions out there. You know, you've got the responsibility of people creating these algorithms to highlight the limitations of this software and to perhaps maybe, you know, we, we can't always get it right from the beginning. Um, but perhaps highlight that, you know, this software does need some development areas where it concerns particular groups of people. And so where there's that conscious effort on people creating these designs, these tools, these systems, these tools to highlight that, that limitation, then that puts the responsibility on organisations, corporations using this tech to say, well, hey, look, you know, we are aware that this tech has X, Y, and Z limitation, how are we going to try and mitigate that within our own recruitment practices? Does that mean that, you know, we, we use this, this algorithm to a certain extent or this software to a certain extent when recruiting people, um, but then make exceptions for perhaps where this algorithm or this software might fail um, and try to adapt, to make it a bit more of a hybrid approach when it comes to recruitment practices? Um, so that's just, that's just a thought and a question just to put, put out there. So, so let's build on that then. So, so we all operate in, in, in a world where we're helping organisations and individuals solve some of these challenges and yeah. do things better. So, so, so if, if anyone's listening, thinking, I, I recognise some of those challenges, maybe I'm a product owner, maybe I've got responsibility for a part of a business, and I, I want to ensure that my services are operating uh, fairly for all, what, what would maybe the two or three things that you would recommend that they do differently uh, in thinking about that? Do, do, you, do you want to kind of start with that, Hannah? And then same question to Josh. Absolutely. Um, so first thing that I'm a big advocate for is having a diverse, um, a diverse team, like tool building team. So, you know, you have people that um, perhaps are from the different communities that influence right from the beginning 
the um the structure of or the design of algorithms you know that are able to put that input and say you know well are you considering x y and z group of people are you considering so it, i mean just to think of it within a dni perspective you know i think within diversity and inclusion you always fight for um or you're always an advocate for a cause that you're strongly about um and i feel like in these sort of certain instances um if it's not a problem you you immediately associate 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 yourself with apologies um it's easily forgotten about or it's easily you know cast at the back of the net um until it's too late to sort of implement it and you're like okay well you know we're just gonna have to run with it um not to say that organizations do this but it's very easy just to forget so having a diverse workforce or task force and in the instance is important um I would also say perhaps not making assumptions. Um, and I think when it comes to algorithms and building these things, you're, you always have to make some sort of assumptions, wherever it comes from, like when you're cleaning the data instantly, you have to make an assumption that, you know, if someone hasn't responded to a question, that means perhaps um, it, it, was, it was intentional as opposed to maybe there was a, a system glitch, for example. And so um, I think when it comes to dealing with um, making sure the, the, the data is unbiased, you have to be very careful of assumptions um, and quickly highlight that as a limitation when it comes to um, the data and, and then obviously how that data shapes your output. And, and, and I guess a conscious awareness and documentation of those things as well. So um, yeah. in terms of preserving over time, kind of whatever thought processes and validation have gone into it to ensure that's later available. Josh, what would you build? Um, so, yeah, to be honest, I would approach it as more of like a developer mindset. So the data set being used when developing, that has to be as diverse as possible. A lot of times with a lot of this AI software, they're basically testing it on Caucasian male and female. And as even though like in certain places like the UK, that's a large proportion of people, it's not the only like, like population. So making sure you have data from different demographics that covers the population like percentage and actually reflects the amount of people that could potentially be coming across the software. So I'll start with the data, rigorous testing, another thing. So are you testing against all use cases? So if a, this software is used against black male, black female, Asian male, Asian female, non-binary, like they don't, that type of thing, like it has to cover all levels of testing because if it doesn't, then you've not properly tested it. It's not fit for purpose because if it can come across someone like that, in the process and it's not prepared to handle that data, then it doesn't serve its process. So those would be my two main big ones. And also piggyback off Hannah in terms of diverse team. Um, a lot of the times it's a people change thing when it comes to these products. In the room when developing, you don't have someone that points out, by the way, have we tested against this? Have we tested against that? So actually having a team that like Hannah said, someone points out we're missing X, Y, Z, that alongside actual correct data, proper testing, should be able to produce software that doesn't have as much bias as it does. I don't think bias can be completely removed, but the type of bias that we're talking about definitely can be removed. Okay, cool. And I guess the, the build on that point around understanding um, all aspects 
uh, however it's kind of split, yeah. is, is, is differently relevant in kind of different places around the world. Yeah. So if we're developing software in the middle of China, for example, there might be a, you've still got to kind of ensure that, yeah. that the, the breadth um, of anybody in that environment or indeed visiting that environment is considered. It, it doesn't matter where the importance is, that, that clarity, that, uh, that, that, that those communities, those groups have been tested um, where, where's what's great? I mean, what is there an organisation out there that you look at and think, wow, actually, um, I, I see them as a leader in this field? My personal experience, I can't think of any of the top of my head, which is somewhat disheartening. But that also might just be a case of not enough research into it. With this type of topic, you do tend to see the negative before the positive. So I'm happy to go and source out as many positive examples as possible. But as far as I know, I can't name any. Hannah, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I sit, I sit with Josh on that, um, where I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I can name specifics um, of organisations that are out there that that have gotten it right or are getting it right. Um, I would just say it's the learning process. When you almost when you think of an of an iOS and an Apple product, it's like there's always a 16.1.0 that's being released every every so often, and I just feel like it's the responsibilities of organisations just to make sure when it is highlighted. Um, but what are you going to do about it? Um, and I think it's the transparency that's there for me, where it's like, you know what, hands up. You know, this is something that we didn't factor, we didn't consider in the beginning. Now we are trying to, and they're, they're sort of making active efforts. And I, and I think of it, um, I mean, when you when you look at facial recognition technology and how we've, we've especially in the UK, we try to put that out there when it comes to... Um, using it within law enforcement, um, you know, I think there's now a lot more scrutiny about how we're using that um, within law enforcement. And there's a lot more effort um, just from personally having a look at um, sort of uh, what's on ground. There's a lot more effort in making sure there's input, you know, from research communities, you know, on, on what's emerging, what's happening in this space. Um, and it's great that people, a lot more people are talking about it and a lot more people from the Black um, BAME community are actually impacting the research in this, in this space. Um, so, I mean, that's all I can say on it right now. I don't think anyone's gotten it just as right. Uh, if there are comments that come through, Rob, on this and anyone shares things, that'd be, be lovely to hear about that. But um, yeah, I think well, transparency is the first thing. I tell you what, I mean, let's ask that question. So we so we can do it after the podcast in terms of on social media. We we can see what what's the great examples that people are aware of, or people are proud of, if they're if they're involved in it personally. I, I guess the challenge with it is it's easy to hear of when it goes drastically wrong than when it actually kind of is known to be right. Because how how do you as a uh, a consumer know when it's right? Um, it, it, it's far harder to tell. So just, just thinking about, um, again, building on the recommendations of what people can do differently. So we've talked a bit about things that they should consider. What, what about material that they should read or, or podcast, ignoring the current podcast, obviously, <laughs> uh, podcasts or, or, or video material, uh, authorities in the field? Is there anyone that you'd highlight that's inspired um, you or... or as whether it's academic or in the work that you do today um, has been a significant impact in, in the way you think about things. Hannah? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like I mentioned, um, the first instance, and this is just me coming across it, I'm, I'm by no means any expert. Um, you know, I've, I've just come into this um, field um, almost like it fell into my lap. Um, and so I am also trying to find out, okay, well, well, who can I, can I look up to who's, who's in this? And before I, I, I sort of give my explanation of probably who I, I do look up to in this space, um, it's very difficult because one, we all know within the tech industry, there aren't very many females in the industry full stop. Um, and then when you look at black females, there aren't very many black females in this space either, um, that perhaps maybe even have enough of a voice to actually make any change or challenge the status quo. Um, so I, I mentioned her before, so this is Joy, um, um, and this is just saying it with my British accent, so <laughs> apologies. Um, and, you know, I, I really do, um, I, I think I, I really am inspired by the work she's done in that facial recognition space. And the fact that it is, whenever anyone talks about recogn facial recognition, she is one of the names that typically comes up because, you know, there was a there was a paper written on, on that. Um, and I will put the, the name of the paper in, in this chat, but you know, she, through the work of M MIT research, has shed light on some of the gender problems and racial problems within machine learning and their algorithms. Um, maybe if, if Josh, you you start, and I can probably find the name her, the name of her research paper to give to you guys. But I mean, I think there's lots of things out there on racial bias within machine learning um you know right from looking at the health sector right through to um you know uh, um law enforcement right through to biometrics as well so you know i think if you type in racial bias in algorithms you will find a lot of work on that um, and i think each of these give a different perspective um on that Cool. Thanks, Hannah. Oh, yeah. So I was gonna like piggyback off what Hannah said in terms of. So, from my standpoint, I've not done any particular research into racial bias and algorithms. So, like, I can't list an author or paper. But I think genuinely, from something in preparation for today's podcast, I just googled bias in algorithms on Google, and the stuff that came up on Google alone. It's just, I think people should just look into that. It's like, it's very telling how quickly it can populate that page. So I feel like people should just educate themselves on the type of things that are out and like out and about there. Like just general news articles, um, page, like podcast, no, not podcast, um, publishings on like different web pages, stuff like that. And also there are some podcasts out there, but I can't miss up the whole name of them. But <laughs> it's just the idea of like, just educate yourself as generally as possible and then from there go into it deeper because it truly is a case of it's out there it's out there a lot more than you think and it's in a lot more like systematic forms than you think so definitely just start with google go from there and if you do have any particular people that you have come across send them my way i would love to read cool so I think um, one of the commitments I was going to make was to kind of top five, find some of those experts globally. Mm -hmm. And over the next uh, few weeks or months, kind of we'll, we'll do maybe a couple more podcasts mm -hmm. looking at this subject in, in a bit more depth and understand what people are experiencing and indeed what they're doing differently in organisations to try and 
address these issues and, and, and make it make a difference. Uh, so, so hopefully we'll come back to that a couple of times over the coming months. Um, I'd just like to say thank you to you both um, for uh, taking part and engaging in the conversation, critically important conversation anyway, obviously kind of very relevant in terms of uh, the CDR principle too, um, but, but, but vitally important for any organisation that's thinking about uh, delivering our products and services using algorithms, using data in appropriate ways. And as we heard earlier, um, making sure that they clearly understand there's a financial consequence of not yeah. getting that right, not just a reputational kind of consequence of, of it being right. Um, any final thoughts, Hannah, before we wrap up? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just wanted to go back on the um, sort of research papers by Joy. It was the gender shades um, intersectional accuracy disparities in commercial gender classification. So that's where she literally picks out um, and actually analyzes these algorithms in depth. So she walks you through that and you get a, a really good understanding on um, some of those biases within, yeah, within those algorithms. Cool. That's it from me. Thank you. And final thoughts, Josh? Um, no, just thank you for having me. Like, great conversation. I've actually really enjoyed it. So, would love to continue the conversation.